I would ask that you please turn in your Bibles with me to our text this morning, which comes from the Gospel of Mark. We continue our study in Mark's Gospel. We'll be looking at chapter 10 and considering verses 23 to 27 this morning. So Mark chapter 10, verses 23 to 27. Mark chapter 10, verses 23 to 27. But we'll start our reading at verse 17. Hear with me then the reading of God's Word. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult will it be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Thus far as the reading of God's Word. Now as we ended last week, the rich young ruler Uh, ended his encounter with Christ, walking away, feeling dejected. Now, that wasn't how he started off, was it? No, in fact, as we read, he he ran towards Jesus, right, believing he was about to inherit eternal life, and yet he left without it. And the reason for that is really twofold, I think we've seen last week. right? This man lacked true knowledge of God, and he lacked true knowledge of Himself. So Jesus introduces this man to Himself, doesn't He, in our text last week, by holding up before Him an image of Himself by showing Him the law of God, doesn't He? So that He might see Himself truly as He is in His reflection. And yet, what do we see from this man? He is self-deceived, isn't He? He looks in the mirror of the law, staring back at Him, seeing His reflection. And He likes what He sees, doesn't He? He's happy with what He sees. I'm not sure if any of you have have been to the State Fair. I'm sure many of you have. and You've walked by those mirrors, haven't you? Where they make you either really tall vertically, right? Or really wide horizontally. But what do they do? They deform our shape, do they not? Right? They deform our shape. 
And as the rich young ruler here looks at himself in the mirror of the law, he was oblivious and he was blind to his own deformity, which was brought about by his own sin. And he was blind to this deformity that that stared back at him in the law. And we know this because of what his response was to Jesus, don't we? As Jesus shows him the second table of the law, what is the response of this man? It was self-righteousness. He exclaims, Good teacher, you say do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not murder. I have done all of these things and I have done them from my youth. And so Jesus here then takes one step further to unveil to this man the filthiness of his heart, the, the idolatry that existed within it by telling him, okay, you believe yourself to have obeyed the second table. Well, let's see about the first. I tell you, give up all of your possessions and come follow me and you will have treasure in heaven. Right? The man wanted to know how to inherit eternal life. Jesus told him, this is what you must do then. Right? Give up all you have. Right? Give up that which is most precious in your sight. Demonstrate your great love for God by giving up that which you love most. Deny yourself. Take up the cross. Follow after Me and you will have eternal life. But what we see this man's problem was, which is the problem of much of this world today, is that there was something impeding him from doing what Jesus had called him to. Right? There was something impeding him from inheriting eternal life. And what was that? Right? What was impeding him? Right? It was his love for the world. It was his love for the things of the world. Right? What love this man thought he had for God was trumped by his love for the world which was exposed by Jesus Christ. Right? Jesus exposed this man's true love which was his riches and his wealth. Right? Love for the world is a, is a reason why there are a great many who will never inherit eternal life. How many are there today, brothers and sisters, who, who try to live with one foot in the world and one foot in the church and believe that they will inherit eternal life based on their good works, just like this rich young ruler. But as he was, right, they are going to walk away dejected and disheartened when Christ returns, for He will deny them entry into His kingdom of glory. Now the reason that we are told that the rich young ruler walked away disheartened was because he had great possessions. If you remember in Luke's parallel account, he actually tells us that the, the rich young ruler was exceedingly rich. Right? And so he was unwilling to depart with his riches. And so it was his wealth that kept the rich young ruler from Christ. Right? His possessions were more valuable. His wealth was more precious to him than letting them go and losing them for the enjoyment of the great many spiritual blessings he would have received in Christ. Right? These things were more precious to him than the eternal enjoyment of God forever in the age to come. And now as the rich young ruler walks away, Jesus turns and He looks at His apostles now to teach them a lesson about the significance of this man's departure. And it is a lesson, brothers and sisters, that we all are in need of today. And so it is this that we are going to 
to look at this morning, and we're going to do so then under three headings. Okay? And the three headings are this. First is dangers of wealth. Dangers of wealth. Point two, difficulty of entering God's kingdom. Difficulty of entering God's kingdom. And point three, dependency on God. Dependency on God. So dangers of wealth, difficulty of entering God's kingdom, dependency on God. So point one, dangers of wealth. Wealth and the pursuit of riches, I'm sure as we all know to some degree or another, can be very enticing for all people, can they not? Even for the Christian. As we live in a world where if you find the right profession, if you work hard enough, you can amass riches, can you not? When we live in a society where, where those who have great possessions right, are more valued and esteemed than those who do not have them. right? Today, ask yourself, who is it that society looks to for our social commentary? It's athletes. It's movie stars. It's musicians. Right? It's, today it's athletes who tell society who it is we are to, to vote for, what issues are important that we have to stand behind and get behind. Right? It's, it's athletes and it's notable stars who are the moral barometer of our nation now, are they not? Which ought to show us how far we have sunken. And yet why is that? Are these men and women qualified for that duty and that task? Of course not. But people don't care. Because they equate wealth and possessions with importance and greatness and worth and value and wisdom. This is the same thing that the apostles, though, do in our text here today. Right? When Jesus says it's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God, we're told they're astonished. They say, If these people can't get to heaven, then who can? Who can be saved if not the rich? Right? They themselves thought that those who had material wealth were more blessed than others in God's eyes. They had God's special favor upon them. Right? They were most blessed in the eyes of their neighbors. I remember one time seeing a really expensive car being driven and the license plate on the back read, Blessed. Right? Blessed. Right? That person, no matter the condition of their heart, probably thought they were specially favored in God's eyes based on the things that they had and they wanted everyone else to know about it. Right? There are many circles in Christianity today right, where, where they teach you that wealth is good. Wealth is what we ought to desire. Wealth is the will of God for you in your life. As a society, this is what we have been trained to believe. Right? Big good. Small bad. Right? Having little means little favor, means weak faith. Having a lot, amassing a lot, means great favor from God. It means strong faith. But I want us to see the, the dangers in thinking in this way. This is why Jesus says in verse 23, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. I want you to see, brothers and sisters, wealth is not bad. Wealth is not evil. But Jesus says this because you and I are. 
You and I are evil. You and I are bad. Jesus knows how easily we corrupt the good gifts of God. How easily we pervert the good gifts of God. And so, He says how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. We are continually putting hindrances in our way from entering the kingdom of God, are we not? And so we have to ask, the why does Jesus say this? What is it about wealth? What is it about possessions that we as believers ought to be so weary of? Well, it's the sway. It's the sway that money has over people. It's the sway that money has causing us to take our eyes off of Christ. It's the sway that money has of people over people to cause them to forget their duties to Christ and to immerse themselves in the things of the world. Right? The more money you have, the more opportunity usually you have as well. Right? Those who have little to average means usually don't have that much to be able to, to go and do things, right? After they pay all their bills, they don't have a lot of money to go and do things. So generally speaking, those are the people who are able to consistently be at home, read their Bible, pray, have family worship, come to church. Because they don't, their, their, their calendar is filled with those things. Because they don't have the money that affords them to fill their calendar with other things that take away their time and attention from the Lord. Right? Generally speaking, people with great wealth involve themselves in all sorts of things. Right? They're, they're constantly busy. And so generally speaking, these people find a hard time to consistently read the Scripture, pray, have family worship, be at church regularly. Because their calendar is always full. They're always being pulled in this direction and that direction because of what their wealth and money affords them. Unfortunately, it's these people, I think, described who are the, the seeds sown on the thorns that we read of earlier in Mark's Gospel in the parable of the sower. In Mark chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, we read this, And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the Word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of the riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke out the Word. And it proves unfruitful. This is what I want you to see, brothers and sisters. That money has a tendency to steal your heart from Christ. Money has a tendency to steal your heart from Christ. This is exactly what we've seen in the life of the rich young ruler. Jesus says, give up your wealth, come follow me. And he refused. Why? Why does he refuse? It was because his possessions had a grip of his heart. It was his wealth that filled his thoughts. It was the thought of his money that swelled his heart with joy. It was his money that gave him comfort and security and happiness and freedom. All things he thought coming to Christ would now deprive him of. But you see, he was, he was thinking naturally. He was thinking carnally. He was thinking here on earth, not understanding that when Jesus calls him to come unto him, he was not going to lose his comfort. He was not going to lose his security or his happiness or his freedom. But instead, in coming to Christ and following Christ, he wouldn't have to worry about it temporally in paper money and in possessions 
that wither and fade and, 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 and collect dust, right? When Jesus calls him to come unto him, Jesus is going to provide him with comfort, security, happiness, and freedom that are eternal in a heavenly Savior. And yet this man denied those things because of the firm grip that the money had upon his heart. How it it took him away from Christ. And so we have to understand, brothers and sisters, the danger of wealth. And so we're talking about the dangers of wealth today though because this was the danger or this was the, the sin that the rich young ruler had committed. It was his great many possessions that did not allow him to enter the kingdom of God. But I want you to see this. You can replace trust in riches with any sin, really. You know, I don't, so I don't want you guys sitting here today to say, well, oh, you know, this, this text doesn't have much to say about me because I don't have much money. Right? Some of us here today are struggling with sexual immorality. We are struggling with jealousy. We are struggling with with pride. We are struggling with greed. We are struggling with laziness. We are struggling with self-righteousness. And all of these sins can have the same effect upon you that wealth had upon the rich young ruler. We have to see that all sin, if undealt with, will steal your heart from Christ. This is why it is so important, brothers and sisters, that by the grace and power of God, to be killing sin each and every day in our lives. To be remaining watchful over our hearts each and every day. To be crying out in prayer that God would not lead us into temptation, but to deliver us from the evil one. We must labor daily to walk by faith. Labor to submit ourselves and obey the will of God. We have to remind ourselves constantly of what results from sin. Right? Knowing that no matter what we see in this world, it may be appealing to the eye. If we know we shouldn't do it, no, don't go after it then. Don't pursue it. Knowing that in following after sin, all you bring is death and destruction once that momentary pleasure has fleeted. This is why, brothers and sisters, we must make good use of our time. We must spend our time storing up spiritual wealth, filling our spiritual piggy banks, so to speak, right? in constant and com- in continual communion with our triune God. Right? Riches choke the love of God out of our hearts, cause them to be filled with the love of money. And so I tell you today, if you do not have riches, do not pursue them. If you don't have riches, don't pursue them. Because you see what they can do to your heart. If you have riches, don't trust in them because you see what they can do to you. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. This is why Jesus teaches us, brothers and sisters, in the Lord's Prayer to pray. Give us our daily bread. Give me, Lord, only that which I need. Is that how we pray? Many people pray, Lord, give me an abundance of 
material possessions. Give me wealth. But hardly will you find a Christian praying like we are taught in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 8 and 9, where we are told this, Remove from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with that food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of the Lord. Right? The author here, all he wants, all he's asking for is for his needs to be met so that he can serve God. He just wants his needs to be met. Understanding that if he had great riches, if he was full, he would have no need to look to Christ. So he would say, who is the Lord? Knowing, though, if he was also in poverty, he would probably be profaning the name of the Lord, thinking he was deserving of much more, going out and seeking to amass greater wealth through unlawful means. And so we see why wealth and great riches are the root of all sorts of evils, do we not? And why it is so difficult for the rich person to enter the kingdom of God. This moves us then into point number two, which is the difficulty of entering God's kingdom. Jesus repeats how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. Two times He says this. First in verse 23, after the rich young ruler walks away, And then a second time in verse 24, he repeats that again, how difficult it is for the rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And then what we see happen in verse 25 is he amplifies the force of those statements by giving to us this proverbial saying in verse 25 where he says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, many of you here today may have, have heard other explanations for this teaching here. Right? You may have heard people say, well, this eye of the needle was a, was a gate that you had to get through in order to get to Jerusalem. And so if someone was traveling by camel, what you would need to do in order to enter the, the gate into Jerusalem is you would need the camel to get on their knees and squeeze through, and only then could you get to Jerusalem. And so their explanation for this text is that what Jesus is saying is that the rich person, like the camel, has to get on their knees and and bend the knee before Christ if they wish to inherit eternal life. Now that sounds all great and well, does it not? But there's just no reason for believing believing that. Uh, There is no evidence for the existence of said gate. Uh, into Jerusalem in the time of Jesus' life. And I think what we see in our text here today is it's clearly, uh, the, the author is clearly speaking hyperbolically, isn't he? Right? He's trying to, to drive home this point that he is trying to make that he repeats and repeats. And that is how difficult it is for someone to enter the kingdom of God. How difficult it is for the rich person who trusts in their riches to enter the kingdom of God. Now, in some manuscripts, in verse 24, if you look in your Bibles, you, you'll probably see a little number there. And it, it's because there is a variant reading here. And the variant reading adds something to verse 24. So, if you're reading from the, from the ESV, verse 24 reads like this. 
And the disciples were amazed at His words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult is it to enter the kingdom of God? That variant reading reads, Children, how difficult is it for those who trust in their wealth or trust in their riches to enter the kingdom of God? This is exactly, I think, the point that Jesus is trying to make here. Right? It's easier for a camel to get to, through the eye of the needle than it is for someone who trusts in their riches to get to the kingdom of God. Why? Because it's utterly impossible for the one who trusts in their riches to ever inherit the kingdom of God. This is the point Jesus is making. Right? There were wealthy people who entered the kingdom of God, were there not? We can think of some. Abraham? Job? Joseph of Arimathea? These were all wealthy men who entered the kingdom of God. The difference between them, though, and the rich young ruler is the rich young ruler trusted in his riches. Abraham, Job, and Joseph of Arimathea did not, but rather they trusted in Christ and Christ alone. This is the difference. And so for the one who trusts in their riches, it is impossible to enter the kingdom of God. And yet, how different is this from the way the world considers these matters. How different is it? And if you need, brothers and sisters, another good reason why to trust and believe the Bible, why to believe and understand that it is not just merely a human composition, but divinely inspired by God, how about the fact that no believer would make up this God that we have in the Scriptures today? A God who makes foolish the wisdom of the world. A God who chooses not the noble, but the weak. A God who chose not powerful and mighty, but low and despised. The fact that this God chose to build His church upon not kings and rulers and wise men, but against fishermen and a tax collector. So much of Christianity appears strange to this world, does it not? They don't understand it. What's the Trinity? What's the, the incarnation? The virgin birth? The bodily resurrection? Right? Eternal life in glorified bodies with Christ. But we need to understand this. That the reason why this is, or why this is so, is so that the world by their wisdom would not know God. And that through the folly of the message preached, God would save His people. And He would save them in this manner so that no man or woman could boast in the presence of the Lord. Mark, who is writing what Peter has relayed to him about his encounter with Jesus, records that, that during this encounter, the apostles are astonished. They say, who can be saved? Right? They themselves were under the impression that the kingdom of heaven was going to be filled with rich people. So we see here, that no man under the volition of his own will right, would write these words that the apostles wrote. Why would they not do it? Right? Because it, it goes against our natural minds, our natural way of thinking. It went against the prevailing thoughts of the apostles. But God shows no partiality, does He, brothers and sisters? He did not think of your financial status when He was choosing you before the foundation of the world. What we also need to see though is that the kingdom of God is difficult to enter. It is not easy. 
And again, this is something contrary to what the world tells us, isn't it? Right? The world thinks that the kingdom of God is easy to attain. Pray a prayer. Just accept Jesus into your heart. Do good works like the rich young ruler. But what does Jesus say about the ease of entering into His kingdom? What does Jesus say? In Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, we are told this. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. How is the kingdom described? It's described as narrow, as hard, as few find it. How is the road to destruction defined or characterized? Easy. It's wide. It's something that many will find. Why is that? It's because it's a road that we all were born upon. It's a road we all grew up on. It's a road that we all that we are all familiar with. It is a road that we love because it's a road that allows us to live out and gratify all of the twisted perversions of our sinful hearts. The road to the kingdom is unfamiliar to us. It is foreign to us. It is not known to us by nature. It is not something we desire because it calls for us to forsake our former lives, to deny ourselves, to suffer for Christ's sake. It's a road that's filled with struggles, with daily battles with the flesh. It's a road that demands us to depart with certain relationships that we once had. Right? To depart with particular practices we once practiced. Right? To part with our entire former way of living. And that is hard. That is hard. But people want easy. People like easy. And too many Christians treat the kingdom of God as an easy thing. Too many Christians treat the kingdom of God as a common thing. But the kingdom of God, I want you to see, is not common. It is uncommon. And there will be more people outside of the kingdom than there will be in it. The number in the kingdom is smaller than the number of those without it. The predicament that all sinners they'll find themselves in is this, that no one through their natural power has the strength or the ability to enter into the kingdom. We can't get ourselves off of the road that is wide and onto the road that is narrow. Not only is it impossible for the one who trusts in their riches to enter the kingdom of God, it is just as impossible for any sinner who trusts in anything other than Christ to enter or inherit the kingdom of God. And this takes us then to our third and our final point this morning, which is dependency on God. Please, brothers and sisters, look with me at verse 27. Jesus looks and said to them, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. It is impossible for the one who trusts in his riches to enter or inherit eternal life. But I want you to see this, brothers and sisters. There is one who has the power to conquer the heart of the rich man. Right? There is one who has the power to show the rich man his poverty. 
to cause him to lose all confidence in his riches. To enable him to find contentment with little. To give up all he has if Christ so demands it. And that one who has the ability alone is Almighty God. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things, according to the counsel of His will. Right? This ought to bring great comfort to each of our hearts here today who believe, because we know that the power of God will bring to fulfillment all that He has set out to accomplish. Right? We know that there will always be the possibility of repentance and faith even for the worst of the sinners so long as Christ does not return yet. Perhaps some of you sitting here today were engaged in gross, terrible immorality in your life prior to coming to Christ. This passage is something likewise that ought to comfort you and comfort all of us who are sinners. That that which we did not have the freedom to do, God did for us, granting to us faith and repentance in His Son, and that it is now through the, ple- the precious blood of Christ that we have been reconciled to God and our sins have been forgiven. Think about, brothers and sisters, what sin was most prominent in your life prior to your conversion? What sin was most prominent in your life? And now consider how Almighty God stripped you of the love of that sin. How He showed unto you your need for your Savior. How He assures you by the testimony of the Spirit that you are His child. How He reaffirms for you daily the promises that you are His Son. And that you will be with Him and that He will preserve you and keep you until the end. Knowing this, ought to cause all of you to stand in awe of the power of God. It also should cause each and every one of us to stand in fear of the power of God. To fear offending the all-powerful God with our sin. But after considering the powerfulness of God, We are not to stay there, but we are to move our thoughts then to the mercy and to the love of God for us in Christ Jesus. Think about the fact that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And this should cause each and every one of us to rest fully dependent upon God for everything, knowing that what we are unable to do, God has done for us. For those of you who may not believe and you hear the message, it should cause you to turn away from your sin. right? To cast yourself fully dependent upon God for your salvation. right? Turning away from your sin. Turning away from self-dependence. And casting yourself wholly upon Christ. What this passage teaches those who believe is how dangerous riches and the desire to go after them can be how they steal your heart from Christ, how they are a snare for both the rich and the poor. It teaches us that the kingdom of God is no easy matter. It's difficult to enter the kingdom of God. And it is unnatural for us to enter the kingdom of God. But lastly, what we should learn from this text 
is that we must be willing to suffer the loss of all things for Christ. Or else we have no reason to believe that we will ever inherit the kingdom of God. And yet that ability to know this, the desire to forsake all for Christ, only comes from God alone who is able to save His people to the uttermost. It is God who is able to save. And it is God who is able to transform the sinner and use him for His own glory. This is what we see in the prime example of Paul, do we not? Right? Paul was standing there as Stephen was stoned to death. Paul was a persecutor of the church who sought to imprison the saints. Paul was not a friend of God, but he was an enemy of God. Paul, like the rich young ruler, had every reason in the world according to human standards, to trust in himself. Did he not? Paul was circumcised on the eighth day. He was of the nation Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. To the law, he was a Pharisee. As to zeal, he was a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness of the law, he was blameless. And yet, what does Paul say in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7? But whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. Do we see? Paul totally and completely found himself now dependent upon God for all of his needs and all of his cares. That which was once precious to Paul was no longer precious to him. No longer does he depend on his heritage, but he depends on the One from whom all blessings flow. Is this what we can say here as you sit today? That all that you had, all that the righteousness you thought you had accumulated, all of the good works you thought were going to get you to heaven, all the possessions that you once trusted in, that you now count them as nothing for the sake of Christ, having now trusted in God, in God alone for your salvation. Can you say this? If you have, I implore you then today to continue to look to faith in Christ. To seek out Christ for all things. Trusting in Him alone. In His sufficiency. In His goodness. In His power. Looking only to Him. Knowing that all things are possible in Him for the one who believes. Would you please bow your heads with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the promises it gives to us, for the encouragement it provides, for the strength You fill us with. Lord, we ask that You would teach us to daily deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow You. That You would teach us more and more each day to to trust and to depend wholly upon God for all that we need, knowing that He is the fountain of every blessing. Please, Father, Allow Your Spirit to to work this knowledge within Your people. Uh, Teach us all that it is You'd have us to know and send us out into the world in order that we might live out what we have learned to the praise and glory of our great and mighty King. And we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.